There are many ways people listen to Vision, including DAB Plus Digital Radio. If you're in Greater Sydney, Melbourne or Brisbane and have a digital radio receiver in your car or home, you'll find Vision Christian Radio on the station list. If you're visiting one of these cities and hiring a car, there's a good chance it will have a DAB receiver and you'll be able to enjoy vision with exceptional sound quality while you drive around. If you don't already own a DAB receiver, you'll find many models, including clock radios at electronic retailers for under $100. To find out more about vision on digital radio and whether you're within the broadcast footprint, see vision.org.au slash DAB. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. For some Aussie Christians, it hasn't seemed to have sunk in that we have returned to having a Christian Prime Minister. Scott Morrison's religious faith has come under some scrutiny and undoubtedly in the days ahead, he'll be the focus of those who see his Christianity as something of an easy target. But it's not really at all unusual for Australia's Prime Ministers to have claimed a faith of one sort or another. But Scott Morrison is the first who identifies as evangelical and Pentecostal. He is a a tradition, his tradition is perhaps a little less familiar to many Aussies than the typical Anglican or Catholic traditions of earlier leaders. Simon Smart's joining us to talk about some of these issues over this next hour. Simon is Executive Director of the Centre for Public Christianity and co-presenter of a documentary called For the Love of God, How the Church is Better and Worse Than You Ever Imagined. He's been monitoring developments and reflecting on the Australian attitudes to leaders holding Christian faith. Simon Smart, a special welcome along to 2020. Thanks a lot, Neil. Good to chat with you. Simon, you have been monitoring all sorts of developments and writing at length on the Prime Minister and on Australian attitudes to Christian faith. Uh, Let's start with something pretty simple. I think it was just last week, around about a week ago, uh, we were seeing images across our news screens of the Prime Minister in a church in Victoria leading a prayer for the breaking of the drought. And for uh, he also was praying too, as I understand it, for uh, uh, issues that were going on with those dreadful disasters in Indonesia. Uh, but you know, some people had a different attitude to that than the sort of idea that we might have as Christians. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because um, it's not, not unusual. I mean, John Howard uh, called for prayer at a time of drought, and it didn't cause much of a stir then. But I do think uh, Scott Morrison's faith, as you mentioned in your introduction, uh, being of a tradition that's less familiar to lots of people is causing a bit of interest and it sort of seems to spook a few people um and then of course leads to in this case people kind of mocking the idea that you would pray for for rain and it's an interesting time i think because it tells you something about how christian beliefs things that are as fundamental as prayer are just so foreign to so many people today. And I think that's increasingly the case. And it's interesting the way that plays out in this sort of discussion. 
You know, interestingly, and we might develop this, but when we talk about the way the media reports uh, these sorts of elements as though prayer is unusual, that might reflect a deepening sort of a secularizing of our mainstream media. That really is a part of what helps to form people's opinions, isn't it, about how they respond to people who might be praying? Yes, because and, and often you have a, a more secular media than is reflected in the general population. So it's good to remember that. I mean, there, there are a lot more people, it would seem, in the wider population for whom prayer is not particularly unusual. And so they're, they're, even people who aren't uh, particularly connected to any sort of uh, religious denomination or, or religious practice will acknowledge in surveys that you know, they pray from time to time. So it's not as unusual as you're sometimes led to believe when you read the media. But nonetheless, it's less common than it once was. When you were writing about this recently and saying it's not unusual for Australia to have had religious Christian prime ministers, and there was an exception in there, Julia Gillard, you did single her out because she at one point there claimed to be an atheist. So the idea that that religious faith might be claimed by some politicians and then there might be an odd one out who might say I don't have any religious affiliation I'm going to call myself an atheist uh, she is a little bit of an exception to the rule isn't she she is it's, it's, uh, Roy Williams wrote an interesting book on the faith of the Australian Prime Ministers uh, a few years ago it's really fascinating actually and, and he points out that it's, it's very unusual for the Prime Ministers of Australia to have no faith um, so Julia Gillard stands out a little bit that way. Um, often it's not particularly um, mainstream or at least um, devoted, but there's very rarely not quite a lot of influence of Christianity. I'd say even in Julia Gillard's life, in fact, uh, from, a, from her childhood. So, yeah, it's a funny relationship we have as a, as a nation uh, with, with religion and with Christianity. I often joke that the first ever church in Australia was burnt to the ground by the convicts, and we've had a kind of contested relationship ever since. <laughs> and, and you do see this now. When you see you know, someone like Scott Morrison, who's a regular churchgoer, who's a Pentecostal Christian, uh, that has caused a bit of a stir. People are uneasy about it. Um, they don't know what to make of it. And it does lead to a bit of you know, conjecture, and, and so, in some cases a bit of anxiety, actually. In fact, there's multiple dimensions to concerns about religious leaders. And as we point out here, you know, that there might be some who are a little more secularised, an ordinary mainstream Australian uh, who might just, you know, not really want to see anyone with a religious faith uh, leading the nation. But there's this other dimension, Simon, that Christians are not sure because of some suspicions about this brand of Christianity uh, that they might not be so familiar with. And you've been reflecting on issues uh, that you've referred to as spirit-filled elements of Pentecostalism. Mm -hmm. And uh, and no doubt there will be some uh, people who might be concerned about that, but uh, by and large probably not something to be concerned about. Well, not not from um, my perspective, absolutely not. Um, yeah, there's, I, I, my own sense of this is that, um, as a Christian believer, understanding the different traditions and the strengths of those and the things that they bring to the table is is an enriching experience. And so, no, it doesn't bring any sort of 
hesitation from me, but I, but I, I mean, I'm just interested in people's reactions. And I think it tells us a lot about the sort of society we are, and uh, and the sort of society we might become. And Christians as as politicians or politicians who claim Christian faith is a very interesting topic because I think there are some reasons to be wary of that. And so I'm I'm somewhat sympathetic to the person who's a bit suspicious of a of a politician who makes a big deal of their faith. I think there are sometimes good reasons to be concerned. Uh, sometimes we talk about people leaving their local church on a Sunday and uh, leaving their spiritual values uh, within the church and uh, going off to work on Monday or into business or whatever pursuit they're doing and uh, and all of a sudden there's a separation from their Christian values uh, and into a sort of a secularized way of doing business or leading uh, organizations. Uh, uh, there's this other identity too that somehow or other you don't want politicians to leave their faith outside of the doors of Parliament House when they're in there making decisions on behalf of the country. Uh, this idea of separation of your faith from the sorts of things you might do in your uh, vocational pursuit, there's an issue there, isn't there? There is. It's a massive problem when Christians get good at doing that, when they can leave their faith in church on Sunday and not bring it to the table in everything else they do. I think it's a huge problem, actually, because we, in some ways... The Christian community hasn't, I think, been given a good model of understanding how to do that, how to bring their faith to whatever it is they do during the rest of the week, the other six days, as one writer on this called, called his book. Um, but there is, when it comes to politics, though, uh, you have a different perspective on this. So, for instance, I would think that were a politician who's a Christian believer able to bring that faith in a really meaningful way to their work, I'm of the belief that that will contribute well to the common good. And so that ought to be something that everyone's glad of. The problem is that, of course, over the centuries, very often there have been leaders who claim to be followers of Christ but are responsible for awful things that don't reflect uh, Jesus at all. And in those cases, people are right to be cynical of the sort of... uh, power dynamic that might introduce and so it's a, uh, it, it, I, I'm, I can hear why people get nervous there's and we'll, I'm no doubt we'll talk some more about that uh, and uh, the idea that uh, you know and we'll come back to your uh, documentary making uh, globe trotting experiences uh, with that documentary of yours for the love of God how the church is better and worse than you ever imagined because uh, because uh, there are those who have done some dreadfully atrocious things and they've worn the banner uh, Christian proudly above them but let's uh, yeah. just uh, let me ask you things like like uh, the way that people respond to of almost having a fear of a Christian who might be in power. Uh, you've been reflecting on this idea, and, uh, and, and as you say, as someone who is genuinely bringing their faith uh, to a decision-making process, that ought to be something we should feel confident and, uh, and comforted by. But, uh, but some people feel an element of fear about that, Simon. They do, and they, the, the fear, I think, revolves around uh, a sense that, look, I don't share your beliefs and I don't want to have those imposed on me. And so people have this sense that, you know, the Christian politicians are going to be kind of implementing a, some sort of program that's uh, antithetical to the other values, the values that other people have that aren't uh, Christian. But it, but I, I just want to say that, look, 
whoever this the Christian, whoever the politician is, whether they're a believer or not, or whatever strain of believer they are, they will. Everyone brings to the table their own particular worldview, and it should be the case that every person is welcome to do that. I mean, the Christian should be as welcome to do that as anyone else. It's just that they've then got to explain to people how the, how their worldview is going to contribute something that's going to be positive for the common good. Now, not everyone will have the belief that I have that. The, the Christian politician can do, do that really well and serve you know, that sort of servant leadership model that, that Jesus uh, lived out so brilliantly. Where Christian, you know, if you call Christians to be more politicians to be more Christian, then I think that's going to be good news for everyone. But it's a, you have a bit of a job to convince people of that. Uh, let's talk though just briefly about what you might be receiving in contrast if you don't have uh, that person who lives out their Christian values in that role of leadership, because uh, the opposite uh, people perhaps haven't necessarily considered the the opposite consequences, the assumption that somehow or other having an atheist uh, in those positions will do a better job, and that leads to all sorts of other challenges. Well, historically, it ought to be the case that we should look at what, what's gone on in the past and see that getting rid of religion does not overcome some of the dreadful treatment of people. And so, yeah, you're referring to some of the most prominent atheistic regimes, of course, that have been responsible for the most terrible, uh, dramatic, awful losses of life and, and cruelty and barbarity. So, so yes, being a believer or being a non-believer isn't the thing that will guarantee something positive and good. It's just that um, we shouldn't just assume straight away, oh, that person's a believer or that person's a non-believer and therefore they're going to be this thing. Um, yeah, you have uh, examples historically of both, uh, both the believer and the non-believer doing good things as well as terrible things. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. We're talking about adjusting to uh, the fact that we have a Christian Prime Minister, the fact that he is an evangelical Pentecostal. Uh, what sort of adjustments do we make? Uh, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing or are there things we ought to be cautious about? You might like to contribute to our conversation, 1-800-316-316. Our special guest is Simon Smart, Executive Director of the Centre for Public Christianity. Uh, Simon, uh, let me ask you, before we move on uh, with this conversation, I mean, uh, many of the things that we love about living in a free, democratic country like we do in Australia and having some of the wonderful values that we do hold, uh, these things are the fruit of Christianity. So uh, when we get a Christian leader, ought not we be celebrating something of that fruit? <laughs> well, maybe. It depends a lot on the person in particular. So they... they it, to the extent that they live that out, um, yes, maybe that will be good for everyone. Um, the test is where, how closely, as much as you can in this sort of difficult, contested time of, of and, and also the compromise, the necessary compromises of politics. But, but if you, yes, historically, if we look at what has shaped our culture, what are the things that have shaped our culture and the things that we all, whether we're believers or not, all love and appreciate, things like universal human rights, 
things like the virtue of humility, things like charity and all the things that flow out of these things, like hospitals and hospices for the dying, education, literacy, universal education. These things, I think you can make a very strong argument that they emerge out of the Christian story, especially from the, the Christian idea that every single person is made in the image of God and therefore worthy of respect, care, and so on. And so even things like our belief in the in egalitarianism, so this this sort of equality of value of each person, these things stem from the Christian story. So it's good to reflect on those things when we're faced with these sorts of, of uh, uh, modern situations. And then calling any individual leaders who, say, who want to say that they're Christian, calling them to the best version of that that they can be. And so I'm always of the view that a Christian politician who lives out their faith effectively will be known for things like compassion and kindness and, and generosity to the poor. These are things that mark Christianity out, Christianity out as unique and distinct. Now, when we sometimes talk about things like a culture war and a division between those who might be conservative and perhaps shaped by Christian values and those who might be progressive, uh, who are uh, shaped by more socialist uh, values, uh, you're going to have a clash. Uh, the fact that you have a Christian prime minister, does this, do you think, cr- create uh, even more of a clash? Because uh, the prime minister, Scott Morrison, has already come under uh, challenges there in an age of social media trolls no doubt he'll be uh, you know the subject of many a criticism uh, what are your thoughts for uh, for you know where you might sit on a political spectrum and the way that uh, the battle actually will rage around uh, people's criticisms of you yeah well one of the things to say about this is um, I, I wouldn't envy anyone as a christian politician i think it's a very difficult uh line to tread and so you know, some, some credit to people who get into politics who want to bring a Christian vision of the world to that. I think it's very hard. Um, so, so just to say that to begin with. But I also think, Neil, that um, when it should, it ought not be automatically a, a reason for division and, and sort of a culture war conflict. It's, it's fair to say that I don't think Jesus himself could be captured by any one political party. I mean, he's, he's incredibly conservative on some things. He's quite progressive on other things. And so when it comes to things like radical care for the poor, he's going to be getting a lot of um, ticks from people who are at the more progressive end of, of politics. He's also very conservative on certain things, other things, and, and, and conservative people will be, you know, in, in a political sense, would, would be cheering uh, for him. So he's hard to box up. I think there's a massive problem when Christianity is captured by any one political party, because I think you're always going to run into trouble when that happens. Just because of the nature of Christianity itself, it's not easily boxed up in one, into one of those two um, binary positions. Okay, well, let's uh, just reflect for a moment on uh, radical care for the poor because uh, a lot of uh, Christians, as well as those who are non-Christians, will remember that it was our Prime Minister who was very much a part of uh, what's happened with refugees on uh, Nauru and uh, and, uh, places where there's been... uh, uh, this idea of, you know, uh, protecting our borders. And, of course, we know that there's two sides to this argument, but uh, this idea of uh, protecting...
protecting the poor and then aligning the poor with those refugees, uh, there's a big issue there that people might be suspicious about, Simon. Well, I think that's right. And I think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a incredibly complex issue. But uh, I think it's a great shame that, uh, in this case, Scott Morrison is known very very much as a Christian, and yet he's also known for a very, very harsh uh, policy on refugees and asylum seekers that some Christians would argue is kind of a, uh, in opposition to the spirit of, of Christian faith that's called to welcome the stranger, for instance. That's a very strong uh, theme running through the Bible. And so, yeah, as much as I want to say it's very complex, I don't think either side of politics has come up with a good solution to this, but I, I think it's a, it's a pity that in this case uh, the Prime Minister is most known for the kind of brutality of that or the harshness of that policy. Now, some people will want to say, well, you know, it was effective and they'll adopt what you might call a very utilitarian view of this, that it worked and therefore that makes it okay. Others will be much more nervous about that. And they'll say, look, the, you know, the way you get to this matters a lot. And, and in this case, it's, it's a shame that the very prominent Christian person is the one known for it. And there are lots of Christians who are calling on Scott Morrison to reevaluate this and to bring his faith to the table here in such a way that will affect his, the, you know, the, the policy itself. There is a sense, isn't there, where you can become so polarised on this issue and uh, when it comes to voting we all have to take sides somewhere. Uh, the way we treat refugees, uh, the way we protect our culture by uh, having secure borders. I mean, these are the sorts of arguments on both sides. The idea of searching for some level of divine solution that keeps everybody happy, that's what's been elusive uh, so far. Uh, do you think that the fact that we have a Christian Prime Minister, and even though he's responsible for uh, some of the, uh, you know, the hard-handed, uh, the heavy-handedness here, uh, that there might somehow rather be still that elusive, you know, divine uh, solution to the issue? We can certainly hope for it, and people who are believers can pray for it, and maybe pressure uh, Scott Morrison to give a lot of thought to that. I mean, the, the most immediate issue seems to be children still in det detention, and there are many calls now from but from all sorts of different quarters of society, uh, aren't necessarily the traditional conservative or progressive, saying, the, what, you know, whatever we do, we've got to find a solution to this problem where you have people in desperate need of something some amount of hope and it's, it seems that it's been denied them I mean I have very my own sense I have grave reservations about a policy that uh, flourishes on secrecy and a kind of dehumanising of the, these people such that we can't even get uh, a kind of access to them to feel their pain and I know that there you know, there's all sorts of different views on how you come up with a good policy and, a, and an ordered policy and you can't just throw open the borders and it sounds very kind of romantic to say that you can but nonetheless I'd love it if uh, our current Prime Minister was able to look at this issue and say what have we got to do here that shows compassion in a way that we don't seem to have been able to uh, achieve so far.
let's we'll, we'll certainly be uh, looking to take calls one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen after Vision National News. Only about ninety seconds out from the news. Uh, just to quickly come back to the fact that we're talking about Scott Morrison, that he is a Christian as a Prime Minister. Uh, it does seem to be, and I'm not sure what uh, what you were doing when you heard that he had been elevated to the top position there, Simon. But the idea of celebrating the fact that that we do now have a Christian Prime Minister, uh, someone who's very openly and uh, very immersed in his Christianity, uh, something that somehow or other, for a lot of Christians, seems to be missed on them. And uh, we're not celebrating the fact at all, but but really uh, the, the response for people was, was rather, uh, rather guarded sometimes. Well, I think a lot of that might come down to the, to the way in which this has all happened and people's disillusionment with the political process anyway. So it's hard to celebrate... Uh, anything at the moment. I mean, the whole the whole thing just seems so tawdry and awful. Um, so I'm not that surprised, to be honest, Neil. I mean, I think people, are, uh, irrespective of belief, are just hoping for some stability in leadership and some integrity in leadership and yeah, you know, that doesn't okay. be lacking. Uh, the appreciation of Christianity and the way that Christian leaders have dealt with power uh, leads us to this good and bad and ugly side of what's happened in history. Uh, what are your thoughts for the mix of Christianity with power? Well, Neil, it's a mix. It's certainly a mixed picture. Um, it's fair to say that if you look at the at the history of Christianity, it's often not done very well when it's come very close to the seat of power. And there seems to be a corrupting influence uh, on, on Christianity in that case, um, which is not, un, not unsurprising. And, and then often the flow-on from that are things like an increase in violence, the hoarding of wealth, major, these are major departures from the gospel and what it's meant to be about. In the early centuries of Christianity, I think you see a, a somewhat purer form and Christianity tended to do very well in those years where it was on the margins, it was kind of persecuted, and there was a kind of purifying element to that. And so as you move away from, from that, as, as Christianity spreads and becomes a big part of the Roman Empire, and then eventually kind of almost takes the keys to the city, uh, it's not straight away, but you get this kind of corrupting influence. Now, having said that, um, there's also been times where by getting some access to power... Christians have been able to influence the society in really positive ways. So it's definitely a mixed bag. Not always just an immediate cause for celebration, but it can be if uh, if people are true to the faith as they express their leadership. Well, let's take some calls. We're taking calls 1-800-316-316. Join in our talkback conversation. Uh, let's first of all hear from Donna in Albany in Western Australia. Hello, Donna. Welcome along. Oh, hello. How are you? Very well. Donna, what are your thoughts? Well, um, I'd like to, because I was listening to the conversation before the news about immigration. Um, I'm actually, like to make the point, I'm very relieved Scott Morrison's in, in Prime Minister because <laughs> yep. um, I was a bit disillusioned before politics. Um, at least he'll pray. And um, with the immigration question... I've wanted to um, say that I've had I've had personal experience of Islamic culture, and it's not positive. Uh, not I'm not saying all of Muslims are some are very nice, but 
there is an element of ideology that's very, um, very difficult. Yep. Donna, you're talking about sort of uh, what would might perhaps be an evidence-founded uh, suspicion or concern there too when it comes to uh, the idea of immigration, particularly Muslim immigration. But uh, let's get a thought from Simon Smart. Simon, for Donna, what would your thoughts be? Well, it's just so complex, and, and I think you've got to be careful to, and I know you were trying to be that, but you've got to be careful not to kind of label uh, a whole uh, religion, a whole group of people according to some negative experience you might have had. I think that we've got to be very careful of that. Um, and, and the immigration question, of course, doesn't just relate to different religions, different cultures, but... Uh, it's, it's focused primarily on what obligations we have to desperate people. And so I would say that if our first, our sort of first um, instinct isn't one of compassion, then it's not particularly Christian. I think there's a, a need to bring a Christian compassion to these questions and to see people as people primarily and then to think about how desperate they might be and to work out who's most deserving of our protection. I mean, my, my instinct on this too is to say that we have so much here. Um, we're so blessed materially and there are so many people around the world who have nothing like what we have. And so we, we probably just need to have a, at least a, an attitude of generosity and welcome to people. I think that should be the overriding thing and then the complexities of the individual cases and so on have to be addressed and, and fair enough. Thank you so much to Donna from Albany in WA taking calls 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to contribute to our conversation talking about the Prime Minister and his Christianity what that means for his leadership what that means for our thoughts about power 1-800-316-316 let's take a call from Maria in Cloncurry in Queensland Hello Maria, welcome along Hi, how are you? Very well Maria, what are your thoughts? Um, well, first off, I think it must be a really difficult position to be in being a Christian and being in politics. Um, but secondly, I think that it's important that Scott Morrison um, uh, portray a uh, an honest... Um, uh, so that he, he doesn't sound like he's just towing the line or just... Um, saying what everybody else wants to hear, but actually uh, being truthful and honest um, as he portrays himself in as a Christian in politics. You know, people, people aren't stupid, and when we start to hear <clears throat> people just saying what politicians often say repeatedly and it starts to get, you know, you start to feel like they, they think you're stupid out here... Um, I think that it's important that, yeah, he just be really honest and, and as a Christian, be compassionate. Um, uh, I agree that um, uh, we, don't, we shouldn't be um, portraying any, anybody um, in any particular way because, yeah, all, all were born... Yep, let, Maria, let's let's stick with uh, this idea of honesty and what you're talking about is integrity and there's a Christian level of integrity that might take us to a higher level than we might even have as expectation of someone who doesn't hold a strong religious Christian faith. Uh, your thoughts, uh, Simon, for Maria? 
Yeah, thanks, Maria. I, I, I've got a few friends who are politicians and Christians, and you're right, Maria, <laughs> saying it's not easy. Uh, it's a very, very difficult path to tread, and I'm, very, and I'm sort of sympathetic to anyone who has kind of publicly come out as that label and then tried to live it in, in politics, which is so about compromise. It just has to be. But I think what Maria's also um, tilting towards here is this sense that it might be good to have something a bit different, a bit surprising, and I think that's what she meant about the honesty. People get sick of the kind of pad answers, pad answers and robotic responses of politicians, and they're looking for something real. It'd be great if um, a Christian politician was known for that, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Thank you so much to Maria in Cloncurry. Our talkback line is open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. You might have a question or a comment for our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Let's take another call. Eileen is on the line in New South Wales. Hello, Eileen, welcome. Oh, thank you very much. Look, I I just wanted to share my thoughts from the perspective of being um, a Christian and also an evangelical Christian and someone who actually is um, attending a church affiliated with Scott Morrison's church, the ACCC. And I have to say that I was, I was mortified when, I, when he was elected and then I discovered that he, he was a Christian because... Uh, well, I was shocked, to be honest. Because because, because you had uh, been concerned about some of the policies that he had been a part policies of. Policies and 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 how he is known for lacking compassion and um, and in in the case obviously with with the refugees in Nauru, the brutality of that system, and so it's it's in you know it, it it's an absolute contradiction and I just thought oh my gosh uh, and 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 that really concerns me and and I mean of course it's it's wonderful having a, a Christian prime minister or it could be or it should be but Australians themselves they smell hypocrisy a mile away okay Eileen and, good thoughts there let's get a response uh, from Simon. Uh, Simon, your thoughts for Eileen? Yeah. Uh, well, Eileen is expressing uh, something that there are lots of Christians who would feel the same way. And so they, I think a, a, a response might be to write to Christian politicians and, you know, gently but firmly uh, ask them to uh, live their this faith out in a way that's expressing something that's key to Christianity, and I do think this in this area we've seen some, some we've seen some great politicians over the years. I think of someone like Bruce Baird who went against his own party in opposition to their the strength of their um, uh, refusal of refugees coming to Australia or their treatment of refugees, and here is someone who was bringing faith to the table there. And it pushed him towards a really quite serious um, break with his own party. There was a threat of crossing the floor. And, you know, this is the sort of thing that I think Christian politicians should be known for more than uh, just towing the line in a way, especially that reflects something, a kind of hardness of heart 
towards desperate people. So yeah, I'd, I would I'd be um, agreeing with Eileen in the sense that there's a there's a need to call Christian politicians to be more Christian than they sometimes seem able to be. Thank you so much to Eileen from New South Wales. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Before we take another call, uh, let me ask you, Simon Smart, because uh, when you have a Christian prime, prime Minister and there are some things in his history uh, that might reflect, as Eileen has suggested there, a hard, heavy-handedness, uh, there is a certain sense in which you could become polarised as a critic uh, but then the need for, as a Christian Prime Minister, and knowing that there is a Christian constituency who would be affirming him as a Christian and encouraging him on to uh, decisions that might be uh, influenced by his Christian faith. This difference between uh, being polarised to be the critic uh, or that side that says we need to affirm good things. What are your thoughts? Well, you'd have to keep on trying to affirm the good things and recognising what those things are. Um, is it that is it for instance? I feel like we're picking on one politician here, but um, is it the uh, you know a kind of policy that is most known as as a, a very utilitarian policy, where you're saying right it was effective and that means it's okay, and yet it was it was based on what lots of people are thinking is cruel, uh, dehumanising policy, and so yep. Christians, Christians ought to be not just saying, "Oh, isn't it great you've got a Christian politician uh, or a Christian prime minister?" It'd be, isn't it good to have someone who's a believer and let's call him towards an expression of that faith that's going to most represent the faith? And of course, you've got to recognise that you know, in our system, one person is can only there's a limit to how much they can do as well, and they're and they're 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 going to necessarily be involved in a whole lot of. Um, Compromise that, that makes it makes it even hard for them personally, but it's true that Scott Morrison's most known for that policy that that uh, Eileen was talking about, and I, I think that's that's potentially a real problem. Taking calls one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's hear from Jonathan in Perth. Hello, Jonathan. Yes, hello. Yeah, uh, you know the last week I'll talk about. We're talking about immigration, and you mean you people misquoted me. My. I'm talking about that we should allow Muslims to come in the country so that because we are Christian, it's not what we're talking about. All right. I was pointing out, even though a group has started Muslims not to come, but what are we going to do about those that are here that were established among us? Okay, well, you're raising a whole new point here. And uh, look, apologize, I apologize if I did misquote you. Know, I think you're re re referring to a call you made last week and uh, it was difficult to understand. And uh, so if I misquoted you, I do apologize. Uh, but what I can hear you saying today is that uh, while we talk about immigration and you're talking about Muslims, and I know you're talking about your own uh, experience in this context as well, it's a matter of uh, what do we do about those who are already here that may pose a potential threat uh, a quick uh, response for jonathan here from you simon yeah sorry sorry neil what's the particular i uh, missed the, the okay i think uh, well, jonathan is reflecting on the fact that uh, while people are talking about immigration concerns about people coming with a muslim faith who may be a threat uh, he's talking about the fact that there are already Muslims here in Australia who actually do pose some level of threat. Perhaps uh, in the context of how a Prime Minister, as a Christian Prime Minister, might be uh, reflecting around those sorts of things. 
Well, there's a bunch of different issues there or facets of that. One is there's a, there's a kind of policing element that is important, and I'm, I'm sure that uh, there's a lot of effort going into that. Then there's a sort of de-radicalisation uh, process that, that seems important as well, uh, where there's people who are vulnerable to or susceptible to kind of radicalisation in, in that phase that, that needs attention. I'm interested in the way in which we just pause and remember. It feels like we always need in this discussion to keep on saying almost every person who's of the Muslim faith is not like this sort of terrorist element. So I think we've got to keep remembering that. And also saying, I know people who've been Muslim, who are Muslim and who've come to Australia and have never been invited into a home that of, of someone here who isn't Muslim and, and they're never kind of welcomed in uh, to an environment or community of non-Muslim people in a way that kind of extends the welcome. And then, and, and in my mind, as, as we become a more complex society, people from all sorts of different places and cultures, this community element is absolutely essential in understanding each other in, and mitigating against the sorts of things that might push someone into that uh, more kind of radical uh, element that is, again, very small, but it's a, an important thing to remember. It's a, it's a worrying element at some level, and the policing element aspect of this is, is crucial. Okay, thank you so much to Jonathan from WA. Look, I'm going to need to draw a line under uh, the calls. We won't be able to take any more calls because, Simon, I want to ask you, I don't want to leave our conversation dangling in some ways uh, that uh, that looks at uh, Christian prime ministers or people who enter politics with a Christian faith uh, in a significant suspicious light because uh, I think it is something that is worthy of celebration that we do have someone who is in the top job who does have this shaping as a Christian, a shaping as a Christian leader as much as you might have some concerns about policy positions of the past. Uh, there are all sorts of examples of people who have brought to the table, to the political decision-making table, uh, the elements of their Christian faith that have shaped policy-making and policy decisions that have changed the course of the world. Uh, you're across some of the biggest ones, Simon, but this is something really that when someone brings their Christian faith to a leadership role, this is something we ought to be celebrating. Well, it can certainly be a cause for that. I mean, it, I, I, I'll give you an example, give you a couple of examples. So if you go to London and you go to Piccadilly Circus, there's a very famous uh, fountain there. And uh, lots of people go and visit that, but they don't remember to look and see who it's, it's dedicated to. And the person it's dedicated to is Lord Anthony Ashley Cooper, who's the seventh Earl of Shaftesbury. It's a great title. Um, he was a British politician who, in the 19th century, became an absolute hero of working-class people. And he, he used his career, his political career, which was for about, around about 60 years. And he, was at, in, he was agitating for all kinds of reform on behalf of the poor. There was a real need there that he recognised. And so factory reform, housing reform, uh, reform in mining, in mining and sanitation. Uh, he was big into education. So for 40 years, he was part of a group that was bringing education for poor kids. He campaigned on behalf of the chimney sweeps and people who worked on farms and mentally ill people. I mean, he was astonishing. And when he had his, when his funeral, uh, when he died in 1885 and his funeral, on the day of his funeral, 
the streets of London were sort of 10 deep in thousands of people uh, who were wanting, waiting in the rain to watch his coffin go by. I mean, this is the sort of person that I kind of think is, is what Christian politicians could aspire to, to be people who are really living out that kind of self-sacrificial service, that, that servant leadership that Jesus so so much typifies, and in a way that all people, irrespective of their belief, can be glad of. William Wilberforce is another one, Neil, who's very famous for his campaign, a decades-long campaign to end slavery. And he did that because of his belief that every person was made in the image of God and that slavery itself was a kind of a, a blight on the, on the nation and, and the empire. And he was, he was most famous for that, but he was also uh, the sort of, a bit like Shaftesbury, someone who worked absolutely tirelessly for people who needed it most, working-class people, building schools and hospitals. Even things like the RSPCA came out of Wilberforce and his group of people in Clapham who were working. He said, because we're Christians, we've got to work for the common good. And they were very famous for this. And these examples, um, there, there are others, plenty of others as well, but these are examples that show you what can happen when a leader brings their Christian faith to the table. So we we ought to be encouraging leaders in that direction. Uh, Great insights, Simon Smart. So confident in Almighty God uh, that you can rise to a level of integrity uh, that takes the position so seriously that there is a shunning of corruption and then that there is a increased advocacy for people who are, as you say, working people and the poor, as was the uh, case with the uh, the gentleman Anthony Ashley Cooper that you were talking about. Well, uh, great insights once again. Let me point people to the documentary, which has been out now for around, I think, about 12 months, I, I guess, uh, Simon, For the Love of God, How the Church is Better and Worse Than You Ever Imagined. And uh, you have fearlessly uh, taken people into some of the darker corridors of church history and uh, to- taken people into the good, the bad, and the ugly of Christian leadership. But at the end of it, uh, when you weigh things in the balance, uh, you recognize that there are some tremendous uh, benefits that have come to all of humanity because of the Christian influence on societies. Uh, Simon Smart, Executive Director of the Centre for Public Christianity, thanks so much for taking time to share your thoughts with us today on 2020. It's always good to chat, Neil. Thanks so much. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.